Well, thank you ladies for blessing us today. And uh, we want to thank you for praying for the fathers in your lives. Some of us have wonderful memories of our fathers who've gone on before us. and Others are blessed to still be able to give our dads a hug, give them a call, and to enjoy this Father's Day with them. We've been talking over these last weeks about threads, about weaving our tapestry of life together. I love this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. It says, A strand of three cords is not quickly broken. And so what we've been doing over these last weeks, and will continue to do during the summer, is looking at these strands that, that come together to form the cords with which we weave the tapestries of our lives, and particularly, and, and for our particular application, how, how we weave this tapestry called First Baptist Church. A tapestry that, as we will celebrate in a, a couple of months, has been being woven in the Norman community for 125 years, and through our lives and through our community continues to be woven today. And I think about these, thread, these, these threads that make up the cords of our own lives. First of all, I think of what I want to call this personal thread. This, this thread that reflects our own self. It reflects our talents, our abilities. It reflects our education, our experiences. It, it reflects this earthen vessel. This body that God has given us with its, uh, with its limitations but also with its strengths and its abilities. I think of this personal thread of what it means to be created in the image of God and how each of us live that out and express that in our lives. I also think of this three-chord strand as the community thread, as as the thread of relationships that that make up our lives, the, the family thread that is woven through us the social systems and structures that that we're a part of, the the workplace that we are a part of, the the neighborhood in which we live, and how those relationships become part of the the cord that makes up our thread. And finally, I think of this third thread, this strand that I would call the God thread. For us that gather here, that unique thread that that we understand through the life of Jesus Christ, the God-man. This God thread weaves through our lives. It's a part of that, that cord that makes up our lives that then we weave this tapestry of life that we participate in. And what we are doing this summer is we are, are looking through the New Testament and we're, we're taking the stories, the familiar stories, the lives that intersected with Jesus and, and the stories that He told. And we're seeing how those stories are a part of the threads of our lives. And how they're a part of the the cords with which we weave our story individually, as families, and as a church. The last couple of weeks we've considered Nicodemus and we've considered Zacchaeus. And today on this Father's Day, we look at the story not of a prodigal son, but we look at the story of a gracious and loving and forgiving Father. Brent, thank you so much for sharing your story, for encouraging us, 
for seeing how forgiveness and grace and mercy are so much a part of how we find and discover meaning and future of life and how we look to Christ as that example for all of us. So this morning I'd like for us to look at our our Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 15. I would encourage you to spend some time reading and reflecting on this story. It's a familiar story, so I'm just going to draw attention to some of the passages and particular verses that we'll be looking at, and those verses will be on the screens as we work through Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. It's about certainly about a man who had two sons, and the, the first son we meet is this younger son, this son that we would call a, a prodigal son. We're introduced to him very quickly and very soon in verse 13, in verse 12. It says, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So his father did, he divided his wealth, he gave to his son, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, he packed up all of his things, and he went on a journey into a distant country, a a distant land, and there he squandered. He squandered his estate. He squandered what was his, but really, what was given to him, right? He squandered it in that distant land. You see, the, the distant land for the younger son always appears more exciting and more inviting than the life that we live. But we need to understand that the distant land always promises more than it can fulfill, and it costs much more than it advertises. You see, the distant land is that land, is that place that we go where we can set all of our inhibitions aside. The distant land allures us with its promises of leaving behind the problems and the cares of the past and the present so that we might have new adventures and new pleasures. But we must remember and we must be warned that once we arrive in the distant land, we discover that license takes the place of liberty, that lust takes the place of love, and that we find ourselves, instead of being free, we find ourselves enslaved to those things which we thought would bring freedom. And that is why this is called the distant land. For each of us today, I wonder what the distant land looks like from your viewpoint. What does the distant land look like in your life? Is the distant land much like the distant land of the prodigal son where you reject all that was given to you by your your family, where you go and you blow your inheritance, where you squander it and you waste it away, and one day you wake up in the pig pen? Is that the distant land that you have lived and discovered? Is the distant land for you that place of addiction? That place where things that initially brought some sense of pleasure, again, you find yourself addicted to them. Those things which may have distracted you from from the hurts and the pains of, of daily life now have seized control of you and have brought destruction and despair in ways that you could hardly have ever imagined until you found yourself in the pit. Maybe the distant land for you looks like a place of adultery. 
a place of unfaithfulness. Maybe it looks like a place of bankruptcy. A place where you find yourself, whether financially or morally, or in whatever way may be applicable, but you find yourself bankrupt in that land. What does the distant land look like for you? Oh, on on this side, in the Father's house, it looks pretty attractive, doesn't it? But once we get there, and once we experience it, and once we spend all of our resources, we discover that it is a pig pen. We find ourselves alone. Are you in that distant land with a younger son today? When we find ourselves in a distant land, what we need is a desperate awakening. Look at verses 14 through 18, and I'll abbreviate as we read through them. Now, when he, this younger son, had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that land, and he began to be impoverished. But when he came to his senses, he said, I'll get up and go to my father. You see, the young son finally hit rock bottom. He'd spent everything. And he discovered that his friends and his good times disappeared with the last of his money. And then, as it seems to happen, the inevitable took place. The severe famine occurred. In distant lands, the harsh realities of life, the famines of life become even more harsh and more devastating. You see, the famine came and the young son realized how desperate and how lonely he was. He realized his foolishness. It seems to me that foolishness plus famine seems to help us to get to that place of rock bottom in a lot quicker and more significant way. Don't you find that to be true in the midst of our foolishness that the things of life, the the tragedies, the harshness of life, the famines of life that we have no control over seem to attack us and seem to be directed directly to us. Because we've left home, we no longer have the resources to deal with those famines. And as this young son, we find ourselves in the pig pen wishing to eat the food of the pigs. But the Scripture says that He came to His senses. He came to His senses. Over this last week, I I, I had the chance, I was introduced to a a book, I think it's a relatively new book by Kyle Eidelman. Some of you are are familiar with him. I know the men in our men's ministry have been through some of his his videos, but he wrote a a book called AHA, A-H-A, which stands for Awakening, Honesty, and Action, in which he explores the life of the prodigal son and the father and the eldest son. I would encourage you to get a copy of that, and I've asked our library to get a copy of that here in the next days as well. But Eidelman says that in order to come to our senses, we must come to the place where we are brutally honest with ourselves. In fact, he equates this idea, this aha moment of coming to our senses with being able to step back and be honest. And the struggle that we have and the warning that some of you are hearing today is that you don't have to hit rock bottom in order to have your aha moment. 
And there are some of you here today that are, that are playing with the distant land. You're being intrigued by the distant land. You're being tempted by the distant, distant land. And today is your warning to return before the famine comes. Before the resources are, are come. And before you find yourselves with the pigs. But Eidelman says that there's three things that keep us from this coming to our senses. First of all is just denial. We deny that we ever have a problem. I don't know that much about the the, the 12-step program, but I do know that the first step is we have to come to that place where we confess and we admit that we have a problem. And yet how many of us don't confess our problem until we hit rock bottom? Instead of being honest with ourselves and saying, I have a problem here and I need to find help with it immediately. One of the other reasons or ways that we, we deny that we have a problem that, we, we, that keeps us from coming to our senses is what he calls projection. Projection means that it's, we project guilt, we reject, project responsibility on other people and for the young son to say, you know what, it's really not my fault, it's really not my problem. You know what, my dad, if he wouldn't have given me my inheritance, I wouldn't be in this mess. It's his problem, isn't it? And how many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, would say, you know, we project a lot of our problems, a lot of our issues upon other people, and we refuse to take responsibility for our own actions. How many of you today continue to project, your marriage is so bad because your spouse is such a bad spouse. Your kids are so bad because they're rotten kids. And maybe it's time for some of us to step up and say, I need to acknowledge my responsibility and my fault, and my guilt. Another thing that we do to keep from coming to our senses is we, we minimize the problem. You know, it's really not that big of a deal. You know, the pigs aren't that bad. The food's not that bad once you get used to it. Some of you remember the saying, uh, it, it's just a flesh wound, right? The black knight uh, lost his arm and he's ready to continue. It's just a flesh wound. Some of you have both arms missing. <laughs> it's, it's just a flesh wound. I'll be alright. We minimize our problems. We don't acknowledge that I'm in desperate straits. And I need to come home. You see, the young son finally came to his senses. He had to get to the rock bottom place. And oh, today that you wouldn't have to get there. But today you would repent and you would turn. But this young son finally, he came up with the right idea. But you know what? He needed something more than the right idea. He needed a deliberate action. And in Luke 15.20, the Scripture tells us that he didn't just say to himself, I should go home, but he got up. And he went to his father. You see, this deliberate action is where so many of us fail. We go to the distant land and we come to our senses, but we refuse to get up. We refuse to act. We refuse to repent. And by repent, I mean we refuse to change directions. We refuse to stand up and to move. We confuse the word repent with regret. You see, regret never leads to repentance. Regret never leads to a change of direction. 
And yet, how many of us have confused regret all of our lives? We regret where we are. We regret that we left home. We regret this and we regret that. But we've never come to that place where we've gotten up and we've repented. We've gone back home. Again, Eidelman offers three reasons why we refuse to take the actions that we need. He says we, we just become too passive. Oh, it, it'll work out eventually. It, it'll be okay. Or we procrastinate. Man, I'm just too tired today. I, you know, this, this pig pen is just wears you out. And, and I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get up tomorrow. Or, you know what? One more day in the distant land. We're, we're not in, the, we're, we're not in the, the pig pen yet. You know, one more day enjoying the, the pleasures of this life, the sin of this season. One more day and then I'll go back home. One more day. One more time. We put it off. And yet on the other extreme, we have those that are already defeated that have said, you know what? Not just one more day, but it's too late for me. I've messed things up too bad. I'm in the pig pen and shame and guilt and embarrassment have come over you and it paralyzes you and it causes you to say, you know what? It's too late for me. And we forget that we need to act. All of us need to get up and act and act decisively and act quickly. And for some of you today, the great temptation is not going to be that you don't know what to do. It's going to be that when you leave this place, you refuse to do it. You refuse to take immediate action. And so let's consider the threat of the Father real quickly. We've got to go back to the beginning of the story. Because we have to connect with the Father's brokenness. When the son came and said, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. What the son said to him was, Dad, guess what? You're dead to me. I reject you totally and completely. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with your faith. I don't want anything to do with your beliefs. I don't want anything to do with this family anymore. Give me what's mine so I can get out of here. Can you imagine the brokenness of a father? And yet some of you today know exactly how this father felt. You know the brokenness of a son or a daughter who has rejected you. And so as we look at the father's thread, we have to understand that brokenness is a part of that. And yet we also have to understand the father's compassion. That after the son left, the Scripture tells us in verse 20, while he was still a long way off, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion for him and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. The Scripture alludes to while the son was a long way off, while he was still in the pig pen, while he was squandering his estate, the father was looking for Him, was waiting for Him, was hoping and praying that one day He would see His Son come down the road to home. And isn't it beautiful? Isn't it great to see a father who doesn't make it hard for his son to return home? 
A father who sees his son in the distance and he runs after him. He embraces him and, and he, sure the son says his things, but, but the dad is saying, oh son, welcome home. Get the best coat. Get the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate because you were dead and now you're alive. And in verse 23 and 24, we see the, the father's graciousness of let's eat and let's celebrate. The father had publicly been shamed and humiliated. The father had publicly been declared dead by his son. And now the father publicly declares that my son is home. And we're going to celebrate. Oh, don't you see the father's graciousness? Certainly they had some hard conversations and, and they had to talk through some things. But first and foremost, the father's graciousness consumed and overtook the situation. But before we close, we have to look at this thread of the eldest son. The thread of the eldest son who lived in a distant land. You see, sometimes distance is not about geography. When the son heard what was going on, the Scripture tells us that he became angry and he was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began to plead with him to invite him Oh, don't you see that even the eldest son, even the one who still lives with the father, can still be in a distant land, can still be emotionally and spiritually and relationally disconnected with the father. And we see here in this story the anger and the jealousy of the older son towards his father maybe, towards the younger brother maybe, most likely towards both. You see, the oldest son was at home physically, but he was dead spiritually and emotionally. You see, he too needed a desperate awakening. Even when we live in the Father's house, we can become callous to His goodness and to His faithfulness. And because the son did not fully know the Father, he felt insecure. And he was threatened by his Father's generosity and His graciousness and His hospitality. And don't we find ourselves Oh God, don't forgive them. And we would deny what has been so graciously given to us. And yet the Father seeks to forgive and to love and to welcome back. Somehow this eldest son was afraid that the Father's love would threaten the Father's love towards him. And so like the younger son, both Sons were distant from their father. But don't we see here this beautiful story of a father who loved his sons? And he goes out to his son in verses 31 and 32, and he says, Son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours, but we have to celebrate. We had to celebrate, for this brother of yours was dead, and he's begun to live again. He was lost, and now he's been found. You see, the father went to the son. He sought the son. And he gave compassion to the son. And he invited the son to a deliberate action. You know, the story doesn't tell us how the son reacted, does it? I think we would all hope that the son came to his senses. And that he went back in and he honored his father and he welcomed his brother and he forgave his brother and that he experienced this generous and gracious father. 
But you know what? We don't know. He may have stayed out in the field and continued to sulk. Maybe he went to his father and said, you know what? Give me my stuff. If you're going to treat a brother like this, then I'll just leave. Because that's not what I signed up for. That's not what I stayed around for. What did this older son do? What was the action that followed his father coming to him? So as we weave our tapestry this morning, first and foremost, we must consider the Heavenly Father. You see, we've all lived in that distant land. And some of us are still there. And some of us, some of us visit it way too often. But on the cross, the Father pursued us through the Son. He came to us while we were yet sinners. And now, He waits. He looks eagerly for our return. Is the Father waiting for you today? Is He looking? Is He coming to you? Also on this Father's Day, we consider our earthly fathers. As with the eldest son, some of our fathers here today need to go to our distant children. Need to have some conversations with them. Some of us, though, have a a younger son or younger daughter at our house. We may not really know where they are and all that that means. But you know what? We, we, we can be praying and we can be watching. We can be anticipating. And we can be pursuing them when they come up over the horizon. We have some fathers that need to be there today. And lastly, we have some fathers that need to lead their family in celebrating the children that are in the house. Some have come home. Some have been there forever. But dads, you need to celebrate and you need to appreciate and you need to bless those children and those grandchildren that are in your lives. How will you respond? What, what thread? How, how will you take these threads today and weave them through your tapestry of life? A father, growing older, went to his daughter one day and said, you know, I, I think it's time for us to find some new living arrangements for me. I can take care of myself now, but, but I'm getting to that point where I know in the next few years I won't be able to. So they made arrangements and, and went into a, put him in an a assisted living, nursing home type setting. And, and the daughter and her husband and her children were so faithful to go and to visit their dad. They lived, they lived some distance away, but every Sunday they would go and they would visit their father. And certainly over the, the last years, or as the years progressed, the father became a little bit more impacted by his dementia, couldn't always remember things at times, couldn't remember the, the names of the grandchildren, eventually at times couldn't even remember the name of his daughter. One day she was visiting, yet even in spite of this, the father was always there waiting. One day they were visiting and she said, Dad, do you know what today is? He said, no, I don't. She said, well, how did you know to wait for me today? And with clarity and with love, he looked at his daughter. He said, I wait for you every day. See, we have a father that loves us and is not, is not waiting for us to come home so that he can crush us. But he's waiting so that he can love us. And forgive us. 
and welcome us into his presence for now and for eternity. To all of us still in the distant land, it's time to wake up, to be honest, and to take action. For you see, our Father longs to see us. Let's pray.